Well, as I mentioned last week, Pastor Dean uh, brought the message for us, and it was a, a huge gift, and I thought he did an amazing job of wrapping up our introductory series on the Summer of Wonder. Summer of Wonder is going to continue through the summer, but we're going to transition today into what I'm calling a follow-on series that we're calling Rooted in Wonder, that's kind of loosely following uh, the book called Rooted in Wonder by Erin Linham. Uh, where she uh, writes to parents as a, a way of helping us to understand how we can nurture our family's faith through God's creation. So we're going to look into that a little bit. Uh, I want to encourage you, though, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it as part of the message, but this is a book not just for parents. She does a great job. It's a good read, and she does a, a wonderful job of taking us through a theology of creation. She tells her own personal journey of faith and, and, and a rediscovery of wonder in her life, as well as a lot of practical ways that we can understand how to connect the dots back from understanding God's Word in nature to understanding a deeper experience of God's Word in the Bible. So I, hopefully that's a strong encouragement for you to consider that. Uh, we learned that recovering more of a childlike faith as Jesus taught his disciples uh, can be discovered through experiencing an openness to mystery and wonder and amazement in our lives and particularly in the world that God has made which we also come to understand includes ourselves and other people as a part of the world that God has made. We are not gods ourselves. We are a part of this creation. And now as our follow-on series called Rooted in Wonder, we're going to continue to explore how cultivating these experiences of wonder through creation and through God's word for ourselves, for our kids, maybe for our grandkids, and for one another here in church, is one way that we can more actively participate in spiritual growth and discipleship of one another. Written, uh, the book that Aaron Linham wrote uh, is primarily, as I said, written to parents, but, but it's a great way that we can start to think more about the connection between God's Word in nature and God's Word in Scripture and how really God has intended the two to go hand in hand. Our starting point is really to understand that according to the Bible, there are really two primary ways that God reveals himself to us. Now, theologians would call this special revelation and general revelation, or maybe natural revelation. Special revelation refers to what we can only learn about God through the words of the Bible that he has revealed through the relationship of the people that he has chosen. While general revelation or natural revelation refers to everything that anyone can learn about God through the things that he has made, through our experience of life in this world. And as we saw before in our introductory series in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, the Bible is telling us that nature itself, if we have eyes to see, shows us the reality of a creative, eternal, sovereign, and powerful God. 
But as Linema rightly identifies in her book, we also need to acknowledge that it is not possible for us to hear in the song of the birds or to perceive from viewing the mountaintops or to grasp from contemplating the depths of the ocean that Jesus died to save us from our sin and rose again to bring us to new life. You see, the reality is that we need this special revelation from God. We need God's living and active, convicting word to show us why we need him and to reveal to us both the reality of sin in our lives and the brokenness of the world that he's made, as well as the reality of his saving love and his desire to bring healing and restoration to his, his entire creation. Linham says, once we know him, we begin to see it everywhere, that he is the creator and the bringer of new life. It's only from God's word that he has revealed in the Bible that we come to recognize the true nature of our lives in this world. And Paul goes on to explain this in Romans chapter 3, that the truth is, beginning in verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's part of the reality of our experience of life in this world. And all then are also justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And so when we come to understand through God's special revelation in his word that God's good creation, including you and me as a part of that creation, has been marred and broken by sin and evil, that we are powerless to change that reality in our own wisdom and our own strength, and that the only solution that exists for our human condition to be overcome is the mercy and the grace of the God who made this world and who comes to us in his son, Jesus Christ, to give us forgiveness and mercy and healing, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is. It's only then that we can begin to understand the critical importance of special revelation in our lives. As Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yet, I also want to suggest for us this morning that the importance of God's special revelation in His Word does not negate or diminish the importance of God's general revelation in His world. In fact, what we discover more as we read through God's special revelation in His Word is that God has designed the two to work hand in hand so that in many ways we need the one in order to fully understand the other. And so our starting point is always God's word, which God has said is what will accomplish his purposes and ends. We can see this in passages like Isaiah 55, verse 11, where he says, My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. But by going back and reading verse 10 that comes right before verse 11 and seeing this in the larger context of the passage, we also can begin to see the important connection of God's word to God's world and how our experience of life in this world helps us to better understand God's word. Verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, 
and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That gives us a much broader concept of what God is talking about, about his word, doesn't it? You see, in our experience of God's creation, we begin to see how our understanding of the rain and the snow and the natural water cycles of the earth that lead to to flourishing plant growth and to the ability to harvest food, which allows us to, to feed ourselves as human beings and contributes to our own human flourishing, provides for us an incredible visual example that helps us to better understand the nature of God's word and its role in producing fruitful spiritual life, and a spiritual harvest of righteousness in God's kingdom. As Linham says in her book, our experience and contemplation of nature might lead us to thoughts of God, which can spark curiosity that will guide us to a deeper understanding of his word. But nature by itself is not a complete revelation. Instead, it is an interpretive tool for our primary revelation, God's word, It is a commentary, she says, offering a broader understanding of what the scriptures say. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, nature never taught me that there exists a God of glory and of infinite majesty. I had to learn that in other ways, but nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. I still do not know where else I could have found one. See, as we begin to see and to understand this intimate connection between God's Word revealed in nature and God's Word revealed in the Bible, Linham suggests that we also begin to see with fresh eyes the rich and robust nature narrative that is actually threaded throughout the entire Scriptures that help us to understand the meaning and the purpose of what God has revealed through His Son, Jesus. The story of creation in Genesis, she says, was only the prelude, and God was not finished with the poetic literature of nature. Throughout the Bible, he would continue to draw from what he had created to communicate who he is and what he has done. And it is exactly in this understanding of how God himself has continued to draw upon his natural revelation in the world to help us better understand the meaning of of his special revelation in his word, that we begin to see that God has modeled for us an incredibly effective method for teaching our children about God as well. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. And we believe this about God's special revelation in his word, right? Everything in the Bible that God has given us as his word, we believe is living and active and has an impact and an effect on our souls and on our spirits and on our lives with God. But we can also begin to understand is that in combination with the Bible, we can experience the reality of God's natural revelation being living and active in our lives as well the very life that we see and hear in this world that we taste and that we touch and that we smell and all the things that are around us tells us that that God's creation is living and breathing and actively praising God around us. 
I think maybe in answer to Sarah's question about why do we sing and worship, I think because the Bible says that all of creation is singing of God's worship. How could we not use our voices to join in creation to sing the praises of the God who made it? The passage in Hebrews goes on to say that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul from spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Can you see the natural created order in God's word helps us to understand how the living, active word of God penetrates like a a surgeon's scalpel to the, the core of what our needs are in our relationship with God. Through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that God's word in the Bible can come alive to us in ways that that, that sort through all the clutter and confusion that we go through in life that can bring clarity in an instant when we hear God's word as a word that comes to us and we realize that in that moment, God is speaking to us a word that is specially for us in ways that begin to quicken our spirits or to soothe our anxious souls or to overcome the fears that we've been carrying around with us. But through Scripture, we learn that God's Word in creation is also living and active. And it's in combination with the Word of Scripture and the Word of the world that God provides an unmatched learning environment for us to learn about who God is, about what He has done, and especially to help our children to do the same thing. In Job chapter 12, God says to Job, But ask the animals, they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Or King David tells us in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You see, this kind of learning is not just intended by God for little children, but for anyone and everyone who learns to enter the kingdom of God as a little child with childlike faith, with an openness to mystery and wonder and to experience God in and through the creation that he's made. You see, the beautiful thing in this is that you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a a biblical scholar and have a a master's of divinity degree in order to, to teach your kids how to open the eyes of faith to see God's word confirmed in God's world and to begin to understand that that already through the eyes of a childlike faith, they have a relationship with God. The journey of faith and relationship with God is, is a journey then that we can begin to take along with our kids and along with our grandkids, and and along with one another here in church as as we nurture growth in discipleship to Jesus among people of all ages. 
You might recall the story of the night that God made his covenant promise with a guy named Abram. Abram was to become the father of the faith and, and have his name changed to Abraham. And how in, in this night when God came to him and, and, and made him this promise, the, the undisturbed sky would have revealed an expanse of endless stars providing a perfect visual for the promise that God was going to give him. And in verse 5 of chapter 15 in Genesis, it says, God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Can you put yourself in that picture? Have you ever been out under the stars when you're outside the city and there's no city lights and, and it's a crystal clear sky and you look up and you can see the Milky Way and you realize that that, that, that milkiness is, is the billions and billions of stars that are, that are more than you can even count. It's like a, a cloud in the night sky. Can you imagine that Abram is looking up at the Milky Way when God makes him the promise? He says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then it says, Abraham, or Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. And so we see in the story of the calling and the promise to Abraham, which is the very beginning of the faith that we now inherit through the people who have walked faithfully with God and those chosen by him to receive his word and to pass on the old, old story. That God specifically and carefully designed the physical world in which we live to reflect him for us so that it helps to reveal his purposes and gives our, our, our limited human capacity the ability to comprehend the amazing mystery of, of all these things that we're talking about that are, are far beyond our ability to ask for or imagine, the Bible says. And so that creation itself and our engagement with the world around us becomes the lens for our spiritual eyes to begin to, to, to see more clearly the word that God has revealed in Scripture. And what we learn from the Bible is that God designed the world in such a way that it would help bring His glory into view so that we could know Him more. And then we can use this lens to instill in our children and to instill in our grandchildren a more robust and a resilient faith. Why? Because it's rooted in evidence and it's experienced in beauty and it's lived experience where we touch the, the very nature of God through the creation that he's made. Just like David said in 19, Psalm 19.1 that we just read it a minute ago, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That is if we don't shut our eyes to the light of truth that God has revealed in his word. Because I think part of the challenge I'd like to suggest for us parents, grandparents, even us as adults, is that we live in a world that wants to explain away the, the, the clear, intelligent design of the creation that God has made, that if we have eyes to see, it is irrefutable proof of the existence of God. 
But we have a, a world that wants to, 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 to bury that under the science and to bury it under our human intellect and to, to pretend that somehow there's some other explanation. That it, it, can't, it can't be God. We can't acknowledge God. We have, to, we have to say that there's somehow some other way to make sense out of everything. But, but there, there isn't. I mean, even if you go all the way back scientifically to, to the Big Bang, what came before that? Science is deaf and dumb when it comes to answering the question of why we are here and how we got here and what's the purpose of it all. And yet all the while, for centuries and eons, God has been speaking through his creation and clarifying that through his word that all of creation was created and designed with a purpose in mind. And that purpose was to reveal the glory of God, the God who loves you and the God who has gone to the infinite ends of the earth to bring you back to himself to the point of sacrificing his own son on the cross. In all of creation, the Bible says, points to that purpose and that truth, and that's why the world exists, and that's why God created you as part of that world, and why God wants you to come to know him through this very creation in which we live is because he loves you, and he's designed you for that purpose, and he's created you to experience that life with him that begins now, and he says, we'll go on for eternity. God has designed creation itself in order to remind us that there's something bigger than us, there's something greater than us, and there's a purpose for our lives, and he wants it to draw us back to him. But as our children run and play in the world, as they gather rocks and sticks, as they make mud pies and chase bugs in the summertime, as they splash in puddles and, and run in the waves of the ocean, are they coming to know their creator better? To some extent, it all depends on what conversations we bring to those experiences. And the conversations that we have with our children and with our friends and with our neighbors about God's word and about God's world and how they're designed to fit together and to help them to form whatever narrative will develop for them about the meaning of life and why they're here and what the purpose of life is. Because without those conversations and without us helping connect the dots from God's world back to God's word, the whole purpose for why God designed things the way they are can be missed. The good news is that none of us have to have all the answers. We don't have to be the experts. God has already given us all the tools that we need. It's more important that we learn to ask the right questions, right? The right questions about the Bible, the right questions about the nature of the world to, to explore and to seek and to discover together. That's a part of the journey of faith is that as parents and, and as grandparents, we don't have to have already arrived. We can go on the journey together and we can share our own story and we can share our own doubts and we can share our own struggles. And to be honest with you, your kids will feel a lot better if they know you're not perfect than if they think you are. <laughs> because then they think they're supposed to be perfect as well. 
by teaching our children how to develop a holy curiosity about life and about God's word on the one hand and about God's world on the other hand, we can help them to begin to develop a more resilient faith that's grounded in a real life experience, not just an intellectual learning in a classroom, but a lived experience out there in the world where they get to test and taste and to see that the Lord is good. Amen? And the reality is that no matter what age or stage of life we're in, we begin to discover that the same experiences that help to develop the faith of little children are the very things that confirm and reaffirm our faith as adults as well. As an encouragement to parents, Linham says in her book that raising children to love and follow God is a long game approach. While some of the fruit we may never see, we can trust that God uses every ounce of our efforts. His word goes forth and does not return void. Thus, she says, parents should not become overwhelmed by the big picture. Instead, you can simply ask yourself, what can you do today? What can you do right now to introduce your children to their maker?" And the reality is every time we read the Bible to our kids or our grandkids or take them outside and point them to God in creation, whether by taking them for a walk in the woods, by playing with them in the sand at the beach and building sandcastles, by simply digging in the dirt and planting plants in your backyard, each one of these becomes an opportunity for the living and active word of God to do its mysterious work in us. As God promises, it won't return empty, but will accomplish the purposes for why it was given. So over the next few weeks, as we enter into this series, we're going to be looking at more real-life examples of the ways that God's word is revealed in his world and how we can come to a deeper understanding for ourselves, for our families, for our kids of who God is and what he has done both in us and for us. And over time, with the eyes of childlike faith, through an engagement with the Bible and creation and and connecting the dots between the two by asking good questions and by seeing God's living and active word at work in the world, each of us can begin to come to a deeper understanding and an appreciation of the truth that God has revealed. As it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, Linham says, you might be surprised by how simple and fun it is to reconnect the dots between creation and creator. It only requires time outdoors and time in God's word and a willingness to connect the two together. When we do so, she says, the connections and the syntheses come naturally. So my hope and prayer for us in this season is that we will be inspired to understand that God has given us a real live classroom in which we are invited to go to school every day. And if we are willing to become learners ourselves in the classroom of life as we live life in God's creation and we understand God's word, then we can begin to invite our own kids on that same journey of faith, not because we're the experts, but because we are in need of the same life-giving truth of God's word in our own lives as well. Amen? Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you are a loving parent who knows us better than we know ourselves. And, and you have, from before the creation of the world, designed a purpose and a plan for this universe. And that when we come to understand that, that all of creation is telling of your wonders and your glory and, and, and all of the things that, that you want us to know about you, it helps remind us of how important it is to come back to your word and be reminded in the special revelation you've given us of your deep love and your abiding faithfulness to each one of us through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to have those conversations with our kids and to invite our grandkids over to go for a walk or, or to go for a hike in the woods or to dig dirt in the backyard and to, to look for those opportunities to connect the dots from God's world and back to God's word so that each one of us, and especially our kids, can have a real and living relationship through these experiences of your spirit, alive and active, through your word and through your world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.